Beyond the Box 39, Part 2 of 2022, What to Watch Out For, and yes, there is some good news. This is the second part of 2022, What to Watch Out For. In Part 1, we looked at, first of all, elections that will happen this year, including in the United States in the midterms, an Australian federal election, a French presidential election, an election in Hungary, an election in Brazil with Jair Bolsonaro versus Silvio Lula, Ignacio Silvio Lula, it's a pretty long name. Both of them have been president of Brazil, South Korea, Philippines, and Africa. And then we have the celebration of Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee, as well as Brexit Watch, the life and times of Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, embattled over Partygate. It appears he may survive, at least at this time, but by-elections and other things, who knows what will happen next. Then there's issues of the global economy, including the growing debt bomb. The United States reportedly has just passed the $30 trillion mark of federal debt. Remember, a trillion with a T, is a million dollars a million times. Just in the last year alone, the national debt had another $2 trillion added to it. It is staggering. And then there's the culture war and the issues that are going with that. We continue. Part two. Let's focus for a moment on the great nation of China. Now, in some ways, please hear me out, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. China comes across in one way as a quintessential success story. Because, you see, in October 1949, when it only had a population of half a billion, 500 million, it was a relatively feudal, backward nation. Then on the 1st of October 1949, Mao Zedong declared the People's Republic of China. In this period, since 1949, China has done some rather impressive things, like taken the Chinese language, of which there are many dialects, and standardized it to one dialect or one version called Mandarin, so that the Han Chinese and the 56 million, or 56, I should say, minorities in the People's Republic can actually speak to each other. It is estimated the 350 million people in China have been lifted up out of poverty, particularly since Deng Xiaoping and his, shall we say, socialism in Chinese letters or his de facto capitalism has done something to unleash the Chinese economy, which still has a lot of the vestige of state-run communist industries. And then the third thing is China is on track presently to become an economic and military superpower, a rival to the United States, only in a few years' time. However, by no means is China invulnerable. There is financial overspeculation. There is the ever-present fight against corruption. There is a definite overreach in several areas. Then, of course, China picked up the Western virus of heavy-duty borrowing and debt. 
Then there's the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic, which originated in China, in the city of Wuhan. All these things are big potholes on the road to becoming a superpower. Now, China's military threats are being taken seriously. And, you know, the Newton's law says that wherever there is an action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Then, of course, let's not forget that China is not a parliamentary democracy. It is a one-party autocratic state run by the CCP, known as the Chinese Communist Party. They certainly lack the checks and balances of a proper democratic regime. Now, there's a lot of reports of human rights abuses, the suppression of democracy in Hong Kong, which is a negation of the protocol they signed with Britain in 1984, one country, two systems. And there's military threats against Taiwan and against Kashmir, in, you know, dealing with India in the Himalayas and other areas in the South China Sea and making claim of Chinese jurisdiction hundreds of miles from the Chinese coast. All of this has to be watched for. But there is a plus side. China probably has the largest Christian church in the world in absolute terms. Though this book was published decades ago, perhaps in the 1980s, I do commend it to you if you can find it, a book by Arthur Wallace, W-A-L-L-I-S, Arthur Wallace, called The China Miracle. It's unforgettable. Basically, he's talking about how on earth did China fare in his Christian church, which at the time of the birth of the People's Republic in 1949, there were possibly no more than 3 million Christians out of 500 million people. And that's after centuries of missionary work. Then you have Mao Zedong, you have the Great Leap Forward, you have the Cultural Revolution, you have the attack not only on the unregistered house churches, but even on the registered three self-patriotic movement churches. All of them had to go underground during that 10-year hellacious period called the Cultural Revolution from the mid-60s to the mid-70s. Did the church even survive this whole process? And not only did the Chinese church survive, it flourished when the curtain was lifted up on China at the end of the 1970s. It's an inspiring story. I urge you to watch and pray for China, its church, its leadership, its destiny. And then there's the American presidency. And I'll be very nuanced in what I say here, because I think that's important. After all, we love everybody. We're mad at nobody. We want to stay above the political fray, but we do want to have understanding of the times, like the sons of Issachar, to know what we need to do. Now, at present, we have what is called the Biden-Harris administration. It started officially on the 20th of January 2021 and goes to the 20th of January 2025. That's the norm. However, it's a new normal that seems to have little resemblance to the old normal, just like life today in this year seems to be very different to life in the year 2019. Now, at the age of 79 years old, with obvious diminished mental capacity, there are serious questions as to whether Joe Biden can even make it 
to the election of 2024, which he says he's going to run for re-election. In addition, his poll ratings are low, and those of his vice president, Kamala Harris, are even lower. What's next? What's going to happen here? Well, in the old days, what would happen is they serve out their term. That's how it normally works. But this is not normal. Either they'll finish out their term as planned, or, and this is asked in the form of a question, will the 25th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution be invoked to remove an incapacitated leader from power? Or might a soft inner party Democrat coup replace Biden, Harris, or both? With whom? We've heard names thrown around like Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama. Or could Biden be impeached by an incoming Republican congressional majority after the 2022 midterms? Or might an irrefutable smoking gun, evidence of election fraud surface that was enough to change the election of 2020 with the interference of malevolent foreign forces result in a decertifying and an overturning of the 2020 U.S. election? Now, overturning elections has happened at all kinds of levels in the United States, but it at this point has never happened at presidential level. Friends, what I'm saying is I'm not predicting any outcome here. I'm just saying these are now possible things that could happen. We need to pray for the United States. And no matter who's in charge and no matter what we think of them, it is a biblical command of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, to pray for kings and all who are in authority that we may live quiet and peaceable lives. Yes, before 2020, the last four options would have been inconceivable. But as I've said, these are not normal times. Then we have the hotspots to watch. A hotspot is a geopolitical region that has such serious problems that it could flare up into armed conflict if not handled with statecraft of the highest order. So watch out for the following. Russia versus Ukraine. China versus Taiwan, or China versus Kashmir, or China versus the nations that have claims to the South China Sea, Pakistan versus Afghanistan, Iran versus Iraq, North Korea versus South Korea, Armenia versus Azerbaijan, Ethiopia versus Eritrea and Sudan. Watch and pray. And then we have the COVID pandemic. This virus has dominated our world for the last two years. Will it continue to do so? Will leftist progressivist governments and blue American states continue to impose restrictions and lockdowns? Well, already I can tell you some blue states, which are democratic states, they are reversing the lockdowns and the mass mandates and so on. Very interesting to find out why. Will COVID have serious mutations or will it start to, shall we say, run out of energy? Will we abandon the goal of zero COVID and accept managed COVID instead? Will the divisions, the apartheid even, of the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated continue or will it be 
discontinued. Will the international and Australian interstate travel return? What we need to do is pray for the quick arrival of a post-pandemic world. And while we're on this subject, I'll just mention briefly now, and if need be more later, but the Freedom Convoy in Canada is catching the attention of the world. A grassroots movement is not anti-vaxxer, by the way. It's anti-mandate. There is a difference. Many of the truckers in Canada are vaccinated, but they've joined this convoy driving from as far away as Vancouver to the Canadian capital of Ottawa to say they're protesting mandatory mandates, especially on the minority of unvaccinated truckers who have to then quarantine if they've gone to the United States and returned for whatever, 10 days, five days, losing income in the process. Remember that the truckers were the heroes of Canada, that the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was praising the truckers and thanking them that unlike everyone else who could work from home, they had no such luxury. They kept the food and the clothing and the goods coming into Canadian households, Canadian shops, because they were still on the job. They were praised and thanked. Now, the same Prime Minister and the media, who very devoted to him, the mainstream Canadian media, are vilifying these guys. And yet, since they started the mandate, or shall we say the protest to the mandate, the opposition so-called conservative leader, who is actually a progressive, Aaron O'Toole, was voted out by his caucus. Many provinces, from Alberta to Prince Edward Island, have withdrawn COVID restrictions. And as I speak, there's a showdown that's happening between the truckers at the U.S. border, of which there's many crossing points, particularly the Ambassador Bridge linking Detroit to Windsor, Ontario. This is definitely something to watch and to pray, but it's inspired trucking convoys in Australia, America, and in Europe. Something to watch. And then we have the Middle East. The Abraham Accords, negotiated by the Trump administration and signed in October 2020. The Accords were historic, very historic. Four Arab countries including the United Arab Emirates, or UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco, made peace with Israel. This is the first time peace accords had been ratified by Israel and an Arab country since the peace treaty signed with Jordan in 1994. That's 26 years. Morocco reputedly also has a military pact with the Jewish state. And it's, it's very significant that this happened because for decades we were told there's no way Arab countries are going to make peace with Israel until they settle with the Palestinians. Without going into details, they're now not settling with the Palestinians. They're making the peace treaty anyway. Then there's Afghanistan. Now let's be very honest. Any objective observer will admit that the American and allied withdrawal from Afghanistan was nothing short of a catastrophe. The Taliban, contrary to what we were told, literally walked into Kabul, the Afghan capital. Military bases 
and $90 billion worth of American and Western military hardware was abandoned. Westerners, Afghan allies, and American greed card holders were left stranded by the U.S. government. China and other rivals moved in. Terrorists also have moved in, and they're planning a terrorist reunion as soon as they're able. And it'll be harder to fight them since the Allied forces are now gone and far away. Also, the small but significant indigenous Afghan Christian church is being threatened with brutal extinction. Now, that's unlikely to happen, but many people are in harm's way. Afghanistan has now become the number one country for the persecution of Christians, overtaking North Korea, which has been the number one for years. Now, to overtake North Korea as the biggest persecutor of Christians is no small thing, and it's been done overnight with the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, the new business-like Taliban, we're told. Yes, we need to watch and pray for the Afghan church. And then there's something else, Iran's nuclear program. Led by the United States, the world confronted Iran about its nuclear program, which they have consistently said was only for peaceful purposes. Well, apparently no one believed Iran's intent of peaceful purposes, since they foment all kinds of instability in the region, so they slapped sanctions on the Islamic Republic. And in the year 2015, the Obama administration signed what is called the JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. In other words, the Iran nuclear deal. The JCPOA delayed but did not prevent Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons. Now, the Trump administration walked away from this agreement in 2018, but now the Biden administration is seeking to renew it. And they're making all kinds of concessions to Iran. To my knowledge, Iran hasn't offered anything in return, except they'll talk. For Israel, Iran's nuclear program represents an existential threat. Now, the Jewish state, which has its own undeclared nuclear arsenal, wants a nuclear monopoly in the region. Why? So that the deterrent value of nuclear weapons can be maintained. If Iran has nuclear weapons, then Israel's ability to deter the war party is harmed, if not destroyed. Israel has not hesitated to imply that a military response is on the table should third-party negotiations with Iran fail. The Jewish state has been known to attack Middle Eastern nuclear sites in the past, like Iraq in 1981 and Syria in 2007. An attack on Iran's nuclear program is far more complicated, though, since there are multiple nuclear sites in Iran. Some of them are deep underground. And, of course, there's the danger of an Iranian counterattack either directly from Iran with long-range missiles or using their Hezbollah proxy in Lebanon. In the 2006 war with Israel, Hezbollah launched 4,000 rockets. Now it boasts of 100,000 rockets, supposedly able to reach all parts of the nation. Boy, if there's anything really worth praying about, this is it. Iran and the nuclear standoff. Bearing in mind that Iran has the fastest-growing national church in the world. If China had 
a church miracle, so did Iran. And finally, and quickly, Lebanon. The long-suffering Lebanese, whose nation was once the Switzerland of the Middle East and a major banking center, today has serious economic woes with a devalued currency and rising poverty. The massive explosion at Beirut Bay in August 2020 was a major national setback. If Hezbollah attacks Israel because of the military strike against Iran's nuclear facilities, the Jewish state will retaliate and the Lebanese will be caught in the crossfire. Friends, let's remember to pray for Israel, Iran, Lebanon, and the Middle East. And having shared all this, when we meet again, I want to share some good news.